Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this week, we've got Matt Cowan from Billings, Montana. But this conversation is going to more so revolve around the business that he owns in Glasgow, Montana, on the shores of Fort Peck Reservoir. Uh, It's been a while since we've talked about Fort Peck. We're definitely going to be talking Fort Peck Wallace in this show. But first, this show is kind of a special episode. This is a bonus episode, if you will, where, you know, Matt, with his business out there, he he owns uh, Mondak Marine. He buys and sells boats, and they rig boats. And when I was thinking about talking to Matt, I thought about that we don't really have uh, much for content on this podcast platform about boat rigging. And that's a huge conversation nowadays with just how fast the technology is moving in terms of sonar and and uh, you know just all the all the components that we have in our boats these days and just when you look at the average walleye boat how many screens they have how many transducers forward sonar we've got you know side scan and three-way transducers and we've got everything under the sun 360 from hummingbird the whole shebang you know, some of these boats are just really extravagant, but even the average boat that, you know, was maybe 20 years old and was rigged a certain way with certain components, and now you're adding things to it, there's definitely a conversation that needs to be had, or more more popular, um, a conversation that needs to become a little more popular, in my opinion, with most wall anglers here in the Midwest, and that is boat rigging. Matt's going to give us a, 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 just a solid, solid tutorial on some boat rigging information that, as anglers, we should all know, or at least be able to look for in our own boats, in our own setups, and, uh, and just kind of know where we're at and what we got going on and why it's important. Matt's going to go over, um, you know, not just how to rig certain components in, uh, but why we do what we do when we're doing it right to gain optimal performance out of these expensive pieces of uh, technology that we spend a lot of money on and we want them to run to their potential. And more than likely, many of us that have just continually added things to our boat over time are not realizing that we are setting up our electronics for failure and, uh, and or just to not run to their potential and i know that sounds funny but matt does a great job of explaining it so we're going to talk about boat rigging and then we're going to get into fort peck walleyes obviously a super fun conversation we're going to mix in sprinkle in a little forward sonar into the conversation as well and get some pretty nuancy Uh, matt's got a great fishing career and we're going to get caught up on all that so pretty long intro here but yeah i just wanted to kind of lay that all out there we got a great conversation here on some new topics for this show anyways and yeah let's get into it matt cowan mondak marine glasgow montana let's do it so we got to get to know you a little bit um on the air here why don't we start there talk to me about you know who you are where you're from where you cut your teeth in fishing what some of your home bodies of water uh, are uh, or have been you know maybe some of your mentorship or just some of the key features of your of your timeline as an angler and um and then bring us up to speed where you're sure. at today yeah well um yeah again my name is matt cowan i actually grew up in big timber montana which is right uh halfway between bozeman and billings i grew up on the banks of the boulder river about two miles from where it runs into the yellowstone river and at a very young age 
you know, I just had a passion for fishing. I started um, fly fishing when I was five. I started tying flies for the local fly shops, took a few classes, you know, and my mom would always joke that she thought one of the days uh, she was going to come down and wake me up and there'd be a big rainbow trout underneath the cover. So it was pretty evident that fishing um, was is deep rooted. You know, I started fly fishing with my dad. And then uh, started working for some local fly shops, uh, sh- doing some shuttles, um, working the front counters, things like that. And then started guiding fly fishermen, which led, of course, to awesome friendships. Started building custom fly rods for customers. And uh, if I wasn't fishing, I was playing basketball. And I was fortunate enough to get a college basketball scholarship. Um, and I uh, met a good buddy of mine, Mark Goyette, who his dad actually introduced me to the first warm water fishing side of things uh, chasing walleyes here on Fort Peck Reservoir when we were in college and that was uh, probably the most expensive trip that anybody's ever taken me on because it led to 14 boats later um, and uh, it's just unbelievable the friendships that you gain and the history um, after college, I, I worked for Shields All Sports here in Billings for 20 years. Um, always involved in the fishing and the hunting side of things. Um, of course, that's how I met both you, Taylor, and Jason with some great friends in the Shields family. And I'm very fortunate uh, to have them uh, as well. So um, just recently here, about a year and a half ago, I retired from Shields and uh, I was doing some consulting for a local marine dealer here in Glasgow, Montana named Mondack Marine. And they called me and said that they were thinking about selling and they thought that I should be the guy. So, you know, I've been rigging boats for about 15 years. I, um, I had a, I have a, another business that's called Go Fish Installations and fish stands for first in sonar help. So I spent a lot of time troubleshooting customers boats uh spend a lot of time in their boat with them teaching them how to use their electronics trolling motors things like that just trying to make the time that we all get on the water everybody wants to be a little bit more efficient so that kind of brings us up to speed now my wife uh, is still in billings works for msu billings and my two boys are finishing up their high school career at billings west so it's kind of a interesting time in our lives where we commute back and forth and try to see each other as much as possible. But uh, the support that I have from my family is is just fantastic. And I'm very, very lucky. You kind of like had those cliff notes to a T, but there's just a lot there. I mean, that's just a great, a rich, rich um, history and fishing and the passion. You have been chosen uh, by us here to talk about kind of what you're into now uh, in the boat boating world and and more specifically rigging rigging electronics is just something that you know at jmo we get so many questions about and it's such a humongous topic because it's almost like no two boats no two setups are ever the exact same and there's there's all kinds of tips and tricks out there there's all kinds of videos on youtube or whatever it is but it seems like the questions can never be answered. And I just, I want to have a show, um, you know, we'll just start with this one, where we talk about rigging boats with you and uh, something that you have a ton of experience with. But I have, I don't, 
And um, and so I'm going to have to pass it on to you and ask you, where do we start with this conversation, Matt? Where do we start with this, you know, uh, uh, boat rigging as it pertains to, you know, rigging electronics? You talk about, you know, you talk about power sources, batteries, different battery types and sizes. We can talk about wiring. We talk about, you know, placement in the boat of, uh, you know, screens and transducers, because that's not so simple or the same anymore. Like, like, where do we have to start with this conversation if we're going to try to do a show inside of, you know, 40 minutes of, of boat rigging? Right. There's a lot of information and, you know, you dig in and you just have to remember that there isn't always just one way to do rigging electronics on boats. Um, there's lots of good ways to do it. I've found um, that I'm always evolving and learning on on what's the best or most efficient. But some of it comes down to, you know, if something goes south in your boat, you know, if I rig your boat and something goes wrong, you should be able to call me and I should be able to walk you through some of the systems over the phone because you don't want to lose a day on the water. So, when I rig a boat, I try to make sure that everything is fairly accessible uh, to the customer. You know, obviously between fuse panels and circuit breakers and things like that. You just need to know what they do and where they're located. But kind of the foundation is if you purchase a boat these days, a lot of times they come with a starting battery, which is sole purpose is to start your motors, right? And then it comes with trolling motor batteries and we need to make sure that people understand that you never want to wire electronics to trolling motor batteries. You know, even if it's a 12 volt system or 24 volt system or 36 volt system, you want to steer clear of having any of your power for your electronics to come from those trolling motor batteries because that that can lead to bad things. So as long as everybody's on the same page with that, um, you want to start with, uh, you, normally your boat's going to come with some sort of a fuse panel underneath the dash. We'll just pretend we're rigging a, you know, a, a walkthrough windshield deep V boat because they're pretty common, you know, yeah. in our neck of the woods, perfect. right? Perfect. Yep. That's a perfect um, example. Yeah. You know, your trolling motors are either trolling motor batteries are going to be either underneath the rod locker and in, in the walkthrough windshield, or they're going to be in the floor towards the rear of the boat. Perfect. That's fine. We won't get into that too much right now. Maybe we can talk about trolling motor wiring at a later date, but we're going to talk mostly about electronics and clean power and how to make these darn things perform the way that they're supposed to perform. So let's say um, it comes with one graph on the bow, one graph on the dash, and there's only one battery in the back, a starting battery. A lot of times these boat manufacturers won't send a big starting battery to run everything. And most of these graphs are pulling more power than ever before, especially when we start adding all these different live imagings and 360s and another graph. I mean, it's really not that big a deal to have four or five graphs and a couple other components. And your starting battery just can't handle it because at the end of the day, when I'm done fishing, I want to go home. And when I go to turn my key over and my big motor doesn't start because I ran my graphs for six hours, that's a problem. So that's where we want to start with, you know, getting good clean power and 
safety. I, I just want to go home when I'm done fishing. Nobody wants to try to jump their big motor with a jump pack or try to pull off the negative side in their trolling motor system. It, it's just a recipe for disaster. Right on. You know, you kind of, you, you've mentioned it, you know, you kind of use the term clean power. And, and this is something where when I research, you know, boat rigging and clean power, sometimes the term clean power comes up. Sometimes the term dedicated power comes up. Talk a little bit about clean power versus dedicated power. Uh, are they the same thing? Just kind of talk through a couple different setups that might sort of depict what that, what I'm talking about there. Sure. So in order to get clean power, you have to have a dedicated battery, right? That all its whole purpose is just to take care of your electronics. So a boat that I'm running, I've got two graphs on the dash. I've got two graphs up on the bow. And we'll just start with that for now. A, a house battery is what I refer them to. And they can be as fancy as a lithium battery. Or they can be as simple as a Group 24 trolling motor battery, deep cycle. The key there is you don't want a cranking battery as your house battery, all right? Because it's all about reserve capacity that these batteries have. And cranking batteries don't have as much reserve capacity as a deep cycle slash trolling motor battery. So somewhere in the boat, you need to find a, a home for, we're just going to call it a house battery. Let's just say we're going to put in a, a group 27 deep cycle house battery. And let's say your starting battery is a 31 series AGM because that's a very, very common for your, your starting battery. You need to find out where the electronics are ran to that starting battery, so to speak, and get rid of it. Because we're, I'm going to walk you through the system that I use and the type of wire that I use, the type of fuse panels that I run with, and all of my heat shrink connection systems on how to get yourself that clean power. You know, uh, the first thing I do is we know we need to charge that battery, the house battery. So most boats come with, you know, if you're running a 24-volt system and you have... Um, a starting battery, you need to charge three batteries. So there should be a three bank onboard charger in, in your boat. You need to add another single bank onboard charging system to charge that house battery because at the end of the day, nobody wants to be crawling through their boat with a portable battery charger looking to charge their house battery. Plumb it in, get that single bank charger in there, get yourself a pigtail to where you can add both of the male ends on the onboard charging systems together to where you, when you plug your boat in, it's still one plug. It just activates all the onboard charging systems. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes good sense. And I'm really glad you said it that way because I was sitting here thinking, you know, that's just another, that's another plug in. You got to have them close together. Maybe you don't have a splitter or something like that, but if you put the yep. mail ends together, it can still, it can still just be one, one extension cord, one plug in system. Yep. That's the key because it doesn't do anybody any good to have all these extra batteries in their boat if they're not charged when they want to use their, their electronics. So 
you know, the single bank onboard chargers are definitely the way to go versus buying a, another four bank charging system and getting rid of the three. It's just not economical to do that. And it's not too bad at all to put them in. So now that we've got a battery located, you're going to put it in a battery tray, strap it down, make sure it doesn't move. Um, another quick tip, like I mentioned, if you've got an AGM battery as your starting battery and you put in what's considered a wet cell deep cycle battery, it's not recommended that you put those two batteries in parallel, meaning tying them together with the positive to the positive and the negative to the negative. You only want to do that with like batteries. So AGM to AGM is fine. Wet cell to wet cell is fine. And of course, you you can do the same thing with lithium. So just you don't want to have any issues uh, that could lead to the starter in your big motor kind of taking a taking it on its way out. So you got your house battery in. The next thing you want to do is you need to find yourself a resettable circuit breaker that's going to be on the positive side right at the house battery. Okay. 60 amp minimum. Um, then Coda makes a great uh, resettable circuit breaker. Uh, Rig right makes a, a really nice resettable circuit breaker. And the reason why it needs to be resettable is because at the end of the day, when you go to charge your boat, it's really nice to be able to hit that button on the circuit breaker and you know it turns off all power to all your graphs. Okay. You don't have to worry about accidentally putting the cover on and turning the power on and it sits there and runs all night and drains power. So that's why you need a resettable circuit breaker. The JMO podcast is sponsored by Long Haul Trucking. Long Haul is always looking for more skilled professional CDL drivers to join their team. They're a people-first company, and it shows. Their employee-owned, asset-based fleet of over 350 Conestogas is among industry leaders in pay and benefits geared towards long-term success and growth for company drivers and owner-operators. If you're a professional driver or a company that wants to ship product with the best in the business, get a hold of Long Haul at 1-800-255-5153 or find them online at longhaultrucking.com. Long Haul, running on the power of promises kept. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And I am, man, you've already taught me so much and we're only a few minutes in. Keep going. <laughs> All right. Um, and then you know, the next thing you're going to do is you're going to find yourself minimum 12 gauge um, bonded tend wire. Uh, I use DECA Marine Master wire. Um, the bonded part is obviously it's got some sheathing around it. It's really easy to run through the gunnels of your boat. Um, 10 gauge is probably preferred. It's always better to have the gauge wire be a little bit bigger than what the manufacturer specs call for. Because every single time you drop down from 10 to 12 to 14, it's called a step down and you actually lose a little bit of power. So run it as big as you can. Um, it's pretty simple. The rule of thumb is you definitely don't want to run um, a copper solid core wire. You want it to be stranded because the copper solid core, it can actually break inside the sheathing. And then, of course, your toast, the power has gone where the stranded stuff seems to bend a little bit better around corners because sometimes you're standing on your head trying to pull wires underneath a rod lock or something like that. And it does put some bends in your wire. It doesn't have to be a bonded wire. You can use a, um, 
a primary wire and like every you know foot you can actually run black tape around it if that's what you have to use but you're going to run that that wire all the way up underneath your dash and you're going to find a spot underneath your dash where you're going to put a dedicated fuse block and i use the two type of fuse blocks that i use one's by blue c and the other one's by c dog um there's six and 12 circuits that you can purchase they're not too expensive you know they're 60 70 bucks but this is going to be the home for all of your electronics wires heading towards this fuse block and it's going to be super easy because you can label them all um you can have extra uh three to five amp spade fuses everybody's got those laying around um the sea dog one that I just got this year, actually when you pop a fuse, a red light turns on so you can look at the fuse panel and you can see which one is bad right out of the gate. But it's pretty simple. You've got a, the positive and the negative on each end and you're just gonna use a heat shrink connection to terminate right to it. Um, and then you're gonna run the leads from your electronics, like in my case, two electronics on the dash. Both of them run right to my fuse panel um it's pretty simple but this is dedicated clean power that is just designed to run nothing but electronics and i know with the, the circuit breaker that i can turn it off at the end of the night um and and don't have to worry about any, any extra draw and and you know you've you've continuously mentioned you know your heat shrink and you know, only because I've done some research and I'm, I'm dabbling in a few things in my own boat do I realize this. But like moisture management, um, it, you know, I, I think everybody probably can shake their head. Yes, like they understand. Oh, you know, you know, talking about wiring and electronics and it's a boat. So it's on the water. So, you know, moisture management is important. But I mean, this is not a situation where you take shortcuts with electrical tape, right? I mean, maybe kind of give us some little, give us a little tutorial on, you know, your heat shrink and just how important it is. Sure. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we've all done things kind of halfway just to make it work. And I've seen everything from bailing twine to masking tape to wire nuts. And it doesn't get the job done sure but it's just a matter of time before something gets bumped free because you know it gets a little rough in, in our boats but when you heat shrink something there is no way for moisture to get between the connection and the stranded wire and there's some really good kits out on the market uh wirefy is the kit that i use it's a 540 piece heat shrink connection kit and it has everything from spades to round terminals to just regular butt connections. And, and this kit will run, you know, anything from 22 gauge wire to 10 gauge wire. It has all the different colors. Just don't skimp on that. And you can buy a, you can buy these little uh, anchor butane torches that are really nice and portable, or you can buy an actual heat heat gun. Don't use your wife's hair dryer because it doesn't get hot enough get yourself a something that is designed don't use a pocket lighter because you're going to burn the the rubber coating on the stranded wire you need to make sure that you have a gun uh or this little anchor butane torch that that does what it's supposed to do i mean i'm not looking for like train wreck stories here but just you know some common things that you see 
in boats that are in that maybe 20 years old or less that are coming in to get rigged with something new or whatever? What are some of the things that you feel like you're constantly addressing? Well, when when a boat comes in, obviously the first thing that I try to figure out is where, where are they getting power to even just a single graph on the dash? And it could be an older five inch graph with, that was black and white because back in the day that was as good as we had. Well, most people will jump up to a, a little bit larger graph that's color and and uh, so I start looking for where where did they find power? And sometimes, you know, I've seen people just crawl underneath their dash with a test light and find a ground and start poking wires until the light turns on. And it could be a, a 16 gauge wire that barely supports enough power to turn on the black and white version where we know the color ones do take a little bit more power or maybe they're putting a bigger one on. Right. So it's really easy to just tap into existing power. And I've seen VHF radios, um, stereos, a graph, all the positives together, all the negatives together tied into a really small wire coming from the battery or somewhere in the wiring harness. And you just know that it's not going to, it's not going to function the way that they're designed to function. The clean power aspect, your graph is so much brighter. The vertical pixels are so much cleaner and they pop. You can see your target separation and it all comes down to just fantastic power. It, will it work the other way? It will, but it's not going to work the way it was designed. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's where a lot of the questions are, you know, and then you know, I, I think that a lot of people are starting to look look in their boats, you know, or, or, you know, or maybe they already know, um, you know, they just, they can count the batteries in their boat and they know they're running electronics off of their, um, cranking battery. That's just how we've been built for so long. Um, but man, if you, you know, if you started off with, uh, you know, a graph on your dash, or if you're running a tiller and you got, you know, a graph in the back, but now you, uh, now we've got spot lock, uh, you know, in the last uh, decade or so. And so now we've got graphs up front, casting decks, and, you know, just kind of adds up. And it just seems to me like that, that's what I'm worried about in my boat is I, I just really want to be checking things out and just making sure that I've got, um, you know, a setup that at least allows everything to run to its potential because I've got so much more money in the graphs themselves that, um, you know, taking shortcuts on the wiring. And, and how it's wired just doesn't make any sense in my mind. But to know how to do it, I still got to ask you. Sure. Um, and that's fine. I'm just a phone call away. Um, before I forget, we talked about, you know, the heat, heat shrinking side of things. There are, there's a company called Klein Tools that are fantastic. And there's two items from Klein Tools that if you're going to do much of this, I recommend you purchasing them. The first one is their wire stripper system. Um, it's on a spring hinge system. So when you crimp down or clamp down on the wire and you squeeze the handles together, it automatically takes the sheathing off for you without taking out the stranded wire. It's, it's lights out. It makes your job so much easier. And then don't use a pair of needle nose pliers or, a, or something like that to crimp 
down the heat shrink because you can actually break the rubber around the heat shrink. Buy yourself a pair of real crimpers. It has slots in there for red, blue, and yellow based off of your gauge wire. It's a perfect crimp every time because that's where it all starts. If, the, if those stranded wires aren't connected very strongly to the actual uh, heat shrink, maybe it's a butt connector, and, it, and you do heat shrink it, they might not be perfectly touching and, and it's still not going to, you spend all this time and money doing it. You might as well make sure that it starts with a good cramp. Yeah, man. Where are you at with the battery types? I mean, for everything that you see, um, what advantage are these guys with lithium uh, batteries in their boats? Like what advantages are they getting, if any at all? Like what, like where's the, where's the money best spent um, in certain situations as far as batteries go? Sure. Um, we'll just start basically with a house battery. Um, if you can afford it, a lithium house battery is in my opinion, the way to go. Um, because it's, it is strong, constant power, you know, 13 and a half to 14 volts right at your right, coming right out of the uh, fuse panel. And they are so much cleaner and brighter but it's wide open. You have full power until that lithium dies and then it's done. It's not a maybe thing. They are wide open until they die. You do get a much longer runtime for sure. But the great thing about a lithium is every single time you plug in and recharge a wet cell or an AGM, they only have so many cycles that that's their lifetime. Well, the lithiums are so much longer lifetimes. I mean, the lithiums that I run have 11 year warranties and the company has been fantastic to deal with. Do you run into issues? Yep. But they're one much lighter. So they're a heck of a lot easier to put in spaces, not to mention they can be a lot smaller as well. So it all depends on how many graphs you're going to run to what size the amp hour rating is on a lithium battery. Um, if you've got a small tiller boat and you're running a couple graphs and you want clean, dedicated power, a 54 amp hour, 12 volt battery that is like half the size of a 24 series wet cell could be the way to go. But you can run them clear up to, you know, the one I run in my boat's 135 amp hour battery that's dedicated just to power. And I don't know how many days I could probably run all four and five of my graphs with that, but it would be several before I'd have to recharge it. If you have any fishing memory that you would like to commemorate or have questions about commemorating a fishing memory with a replica made of any fish that has ever graced your net, get in touch with Rizavi Fish Replicas owned and operated by Jamie Rizavi over in uh, New Rockford, North Dakota at Rizavi Taxidermy Studio. You can find them online at RizaviTaxidermyStudio.com or find them on Facebook at Rizavi Taxidermy Studio. You can see the pictures here at the JMO headquarters in Devil's Lake. We have some phenomenal replicas made by Jamie and his crew hanging on our walls, which we absolutely love. They look absolutely perfect, just like the fish that were reeled in that day. And every chance we get to go in and admire them and tell those stories and share those stories with each other, we absolutely do. Again, if you want, or if you have any questions about getting a fish replica made to commemorate any great 
trophy memory you have of fishing, get in touch with Jamie Rizvi at Rizvi Fish Replicas. You won't be disappointed. You know, maybe we haven't covered everything yet, but one thing that just popped into my head, now you're in the boat dealing business. If you've got five boats on the lot that are all relatively built to do the same thing, you know, somewhere, and, you know, you've got uh, three buyers, that could be a deciding factor. If you've got really good wiring, you've got the right kind of batteries in there, you know, they're all relatively equal value, however they're built and wired, but if you've got a setup that is dialed with, you know, clean, dedicated power, you know, updated lithium batteries, that's a selling point, right? I mean, we're talking like resale value here. Oh, absolutely. You know, not to mention that, you know, let's be honest, every three, four years, we're replacing our batteries, whether they're trolling motor batteries or starting batteries or, or just a a wet cell house battery. You don't have to, I mean, you're going to spend about the same amount of money in nine years replacing your batteries three times as you would if you just bought a big lithium right out of the gate. Granted, you know, they're expensive, but the the longevity is fantastic. Not to mention it makes your electronics a lot clearer. Yeah. Cleaner. The performance. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely listening to all this myself. I, 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 um, I, uh, I think that there's a ton of value there and it just comes down to how many days on the water you're going to spend and, and what your budget is ultimately. But I think that's just fantastic advice, man. I mean, before, I mean, your, your uh, dealership, you spend a lot of time uh, in Glasgow there on the shores of Fort Peck Lake. So before we move on and have to have at least some conversation about walleyes on Fort Peck, uh, what, what do we got to wrap up here with just some of this good, solid, you know, clean, dedicated power conversation? Yeah, you know, I guess the one thing that, we didn't mention is how we're going to get clean power to the graphs in the bow or some sort of a live system because everything these days has its own power system. So if you run strong, heavy gauge wire to the fuse panel underneath your dash, you can simply put another positive and negative lead on each side of that fuse panel and run similar gauge wire up to the bow with the same bonded wire that we used before and put another fuse panel up there. So it's all coming off the same circuit breaker. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yes. Because yeah, like, like transducers nowadays, transducers nowadays don't just sit, uh, you know, at at the back of the boat anymore. Right. We've got, like you said, this live technology and everything. I've had so many conversations about using it on this show, but rigging it, um, you know, there's opportunity if you're going to rig it yourself, certainly. And if you're that type of person, if that kind of helps your budget out to kind of DIY, this information is just invaluable with setting that stuff up. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, one thing to mention on the live systems, it is recommended that you do have another circuit breaker somewhere in the system to be able to turn it on and off when it's not in the water. Um, because most of them are water activated. Uh, so, it's not real tough, but you can definitely put some sort of a toggle switch up on the bow of your boat between that bow fuse panel and, you know, your live system to where when it's out of the water, you know, you can turn it off if you're going to make a, you know, it's no big deal for us to make an hour run here at four peck. And if it's raining, I don't want my, I run mega live from Humminbird. I don't want that sitting there 
turned on when it's out of the water, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and yeah, cause it's not uncommon, especially if you're using the mapping, you know, you leave the graphs on, but you're talking, yeah, the live unit, the transducer that goes in and out of the water requiring its own power source with all these, I mean, they're just, uh, yeah, it's just like a whole new world now with boat rigging, with everything you got to see and keep track of for sure. And now for you, man, you know, you got a ton of history going back. In fact, it was kind of fun for me to hear um, that you kind of cut your teeth to, with the in the fly fishing game. And you kind of got bit by the big walleye bug a little later in life. Because I think if somebody ever finds you on social media, they're going to know that uh, you've had your hands on some nice walleyes over the years. Um, but uh, but starting with the old fly game, that's kind of interesting to me. But for you, Fort Peck, man, I haven't had a Fort Peck walleye show in a while if we're going to spend like 10 minutes on, on Fort Peck walleyes, what do we got to be talking about here? Well, everybody knows that, you know, the Fort Peck walleyes are real special. Um, and, and what I mean by special is they're big, right? And, and I'm not saying you can't go lots of other places and catch big, beautiful walleyes. But when you catch, you know, one of the thousands of 30-inch walleyes in Fort Peck that have been eating Cisco's and their melon is huge and their eyes are giant and they've got amazing girth. It, it's fantastic um, because they're the cream of the crop. There's only one species in Fort Peck in my eyes that trumps a walleye as far as being the top predator. And that would be our, our landlocked salmons that we have a salmon that we have here. But to catch a big four pack walleye and to watch it swim away after you've taken your pictures and, and you're going to be respectful and get a replica done. Right. Uh, there's nothing better than that. And I guess the thing that you can go lots of other places and catch numbers of walleyes. Um, I would believe that there's lots of places that you're, that I could go and catch way more walleyes than I do at Fort Peck. But the crazy thing about Fort Peck is, is you just don't know how big that fish is going to be, or, I mean, it could be a 20 pound pike. You don't know. It could be a 15 pound lake trout. It could be, you know, my biggest walleye that I've ever caught out of four pack was 15 pounds. So, and oh my God, I'd be lying to you if, if I didn't tell you that it was sitting in my rod holder with a, a jig and a minnow going from one point to the next, it was all by accident. You know, well, but yeah, but the water yeah. trumps that, I guess. Yeah, your the line was wet. Would you say, in your experience, um, you know, forward sonar is a humongous conversation in the tournament world, and you know, uh, revolutionizing techniques, also just finding patterns and bites. You know, we're able to kind of see fish doing things we haven't seen before. Is forward sonar changing the game out on Fort Peck yet? Hundred percent. Um there are some very talented anglers here that have dedicated so much time to learning how fish react to their presentations with forward sonar. And it's not just how the fish react, but they're able to target the right size of fish. And there's no doubt that when you see a big fish on any type of live sonar, it you can just tell that that's the one. And some of the anglers that are just absolutely killing it out here in the tournament world, they find a big fish and they will cast to that fish a hundred times. And 
they are so persistent that they don't stop until that fish bites. And they might only get five or six fish that day, but every single one of them are the quality that they're looking for, like 40 pounds a day in five fish. Yeah, monsters. Would you say, because another big topic when we're talking live sonar, like for me on this show, having you know the, the, the forward sonar conversations, it really revolves around the big fish deal. Out on a place like Fort Peck, where you're still talking relatively unpressured water, right? It's a humongous body of water. You don't have, you know, uh, the, you know, ang- angling pressure isn't necessarily a, a thing, um, you know, you know, generally speaking out there. Um, and the way the lake sets up, if you were going to guide and, and just wanted to catch as many fish as you could, is time management a thing where the forward sonar could cripple you? You know, we all learn things about walleyes, and, and some of the things that I've learned is, Quite often I will see, you know, my system is I drive around with my side imaging until I see what I want to see, structure, fish. And I personally haven't found six or seven big fish together, but I can see the size of them on my side imaging. And let's say they're 20 inches ish Well, it's sure a lot easier for me to lay a waypoint on my side imaging and then go back and get within... 50 feet of those fish with my live systems and cast to them because they move way more than I ever thought they did. I mean, these walleyes, and it's not just a Fort Peck thing, it's in general. Yes. They are always moving. Correct. And for me to be able to stay on them with my live system or even with the 360 and make every single cast that I make, knowing that I'm as close to that fish as I've ever been versus just a blind cast in a general direction because there's a rock over there that looked good. It has increased numbers, but I'm way t- way more tired at the end of the day playing the video game with the live system than putting a couple of, of cranking rods out and uh, turning on the music and away we go. I'm glad you brought that up because the way Fort Peck sets up, it's such a big body of water. So if you can, if you can make it smaller by just kind of corralling those fish when they're trying to move on you all the time and, and, uh, yeah, that I, I think that's a fantastic point to make, man. I'm glad you did that. Now, we've got it, dude. We've got this at time. I can't really uh, start in on any more topics sure. or anything, yep. but I'm super stoked that we had you on now, at least for the first time. Absolutely. And so now we know you. And, um, you know, th- this clean power, dedicated power thing that we're talking about, Reagan Electronics, is such a hot topic of conversation this is a, a great show. Hopefully, hopefully it creates some questions so that we can just get back on and answer more, but um, but also just gets people an in-depth listen. And maybe you got to go check out your own boat. There's probably, you know, there, there's probably a lot of us that have some, you know, smaller wiring, you know, that this, where our graphs probably, if you've been updating your graphs, but you haven't been updating, you know, your, your power and uh, how your graphs get power in the last 10 years, uh, there's a good chance that uh, your graphs aren't performing to their potential. Um, And uh, there's just a lot. I think there's just a lot there uh, for our big investments. And, um, yeah, great Ford pickup day, man. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. uh, Promote anything you want to promote here, and that's just how we'll sign it off. That sounds great, Taylor. I appreciate you guys giving me the time. to, to visit and if anybody needs uh, any work done on their boats or even if they just have questions on what we talked about uh, today um, or your specific scenario 
um, I can walk you through everything that you need. Uh, you can just call me here at Mondak Marine here in Glasgow, Montana, uh, 406-228-2900. Thank you. That's it, brother. I'll let you back to it, man. And, uh, yeah, good luck on the water. Always uh, always appreciate watching from afar some of your successes, man. It's cool.